Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Hey, thanks for making the effort and coming out in person. It's so encouraging to see people come out every week. And we're so glad that you have made that effort today. And those of you that are tuning in uh, online, welcome as well. I'm Pastor Lorenzo, and I'm concluding this series called Unafraid Today. And we're going to be speaking about being unafraid of the broken. Now, when something breaks, we generally take a look at it and see if it's repairable. We look at it and say, hey, is this something that I can hold on to, get fixed? Do I have the skill to do it? Can I find someone who has the skill to do it? And if I do find that person, is it worth it? And we apply worth to things that are broken. Like, is this going to be worth the expense? Like, sometimes when you're working on something, you realize that it may be too expensive to repair. The repair itself has surpassed the actual value of the object. But sometimes things have a sentimental value. And when they do, it doesn't matter what the actual worth of the object is in the marketplace. It has an irreplaceable value in your heart. And that sentiment that you have attached to it, that meaning is so important to you. We had a piano that my grandmother had sacrificed financially to buy for me and my brothers. My mom was a musician. She played the piano and the accordion, and she loved music, but we couldn't afford a piano. So my grandmother put money aside every month from her pension, and then she bought us a piano. And I grew up playing that piano in our home. That piano now sits in my home, and I've restored it. It cost more money to restore it than it did for my grandmother to buy it. But it's there, sitting in my living room, and the reason it's there is because my grandmother sacrificed for that. And there was no amount that was too high for me to be able to bring it back to its restored value. And that, I believe, communicates to us something that we may not understand about ourselves. And that is that no matter how broken we may be, we have an esteemed value in the eyes of God. A value that is so high that we cannot possibly comprehend it. I mean, let's, let's be real, let's be honest. There are times when we think too much of ourselves. There are times when we think too highly of ourselves. There's too, there are times when we have given ourselves way too much worth and too much value. And, and in those moments, we have exhibited pride in a manner that has been not only displeasing to God, but it's been displeasing to those around us. There are times when we have put ourselves ahead of others, and when we've done that, we have often been the recipients of a negative consequence, if not immediately, definitely down the line, definitely down the road definitely at some point in our life. And we can probably trace it back to that moment when we did exactly that. We thought too highly of ourselves. But there's something that we often struggle with, and that is this notion of being worthy. 
And I believe that all of us in some way struggle with this idea of what it looks like to properly love ourselves and to also have a proper self-image of ourselves, to have a proper understanding of what our worth is. And every time I've tried to define that for myself or I've allowed someone else to do it, here's the truth, I've gotten it wrong and so has that other person. They've sometimes given me too much value and maybe too much worth and too much importance, maybe even too much love, more than I deserved in those moments of my life, and it wasn't what I needed. And there were times where I did the same to myself and to my own detriment. But when I have turned to God and I have asked Him to give me a proper understanding and view of what it looks like to have a proper self-image and a proper self-understanding of worth and, and also to understand what it looks like to really love myself the way He wants me to, then all of a sudden that has drastically changed not only my outlook on things, but it has changed me. I want to challenge you today to do that, to ask God, God, what is the proper image that I am to have of myself? What is the proper way that I am to love myself? And what is the, pressure, the proper measure of my own worth in your eyes? I, we can talk about how Jesus died for us, and, and I think we've heard that so many times that we can sometimes become desensitized to that. We can become desensitized to the fact that, that God has shown us our ultimate worth by the fact that he would sacrifice everything for us to prove it. And we may not even feel anything anymore even when we hear it because we've heard it so many times. And I think there comes a point in all lives where we just hear something often enough that we don't stop believing it, but we stop caring enough about it. I used to listen to my grandmother's stories at bedtime. And let's be honest, I used to ask for those bedtime stories because I didn't want to go to bed. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> I, had, I had heard the stories before, but it was just an opportunity to stay up a little longer. I never knew the impact that those stories would have on me when I became an adult. For years, I forgot the stories until I remembered some of them and the spiritual meaning that they had and how it would help me in my darkest times of my own brokenness. I want to ask you today to not be afraid of the broken, but I'm going to ask you to not be afraid of the broken that is in you the broken parts that are in you. When I used to hear those stories, when my grandmother used to sit by my bed and she would tell us about what had happened in her life and in her faith with God, I remember thinking, I will never have a faith like that. And I believe that was the first time I felt broken in my faith. I felt like I could never live up to the standard that she had or to experience anything like she had experienced in her lifetime. When they were meeting in a home, studying the scriptures under a fascist Italy, it was against the law to meet as a church. 
And my grandfather was imprisoned for holding a group in his home. And they came in and they took him as the leader and they put him in jail because he was teaching the Bible. And there were one occasion with my grandfather in prison, the church began to meet in secret nonetheless. And they would meet from, from home to home so they could never see a pattern. And in one of the times that they were meeting in one of these homes, a bomb was dropped onto the house in which they were praying in, and it never exploded. And as my grandmother told that story, she just wept because she was there in that house with her five children, with her husband in jail, and they were praying that things would change in their country. And God had saved them all. And even in a moment where things were broken in their lives, and even in a time in which things were broken through their ceiling and could have been broken for all of them permanently, they continued to pray and to put their faith in God. There's a story in the Bible in the book of Judges in chapter 7, and it's a beautiful story because it tells us of how God can just choose anyone and turn them into the most incredible warrior. And Gideon was such a person. Gideon was someone who was just looking out for himself and for his family, and he was living in an occupied country, and God calls on him and says, I'm going to take you farmer and turn you into a warrior. And Gideon says, no, find someone else. I'm too broken for this task. There's no way that I could do it the way that you need me to. And so God tells him that nonetheless, he's going to keep reminding him of how he's the one that he's choosing. And, and Gideon asks for signs, and God provides the signs that he needs. And, and then Gideon reluctantly agrees and goes along with God's plan. And when he goes out and starts to assemble an army, God says, you see the thousands of people that are here, I want you to tell them now to go and to drink. And when he tells them to go and drink, God begins to whittle down all those that hadn't already left because he had first given them the option to also leave. If anybody wants to go home and doesn't want to be in this fight, you guys can all leave. You can go right now. And so people left. They just went home. They didn't want to die, so they didn't want to go to war. They didn't believe this was their fight, and they felt like they'd be safer somewhere else other than obviously on the front lines. And then the ones that remained went to drink. And God says that the ones who cupped their hands and looked around, they were the ones who were going to form Gideon's army. And so the ones who remained out of the thousands were only 300. And if you think about the criteria by which they're selected, is it was simply this. They bent down at the water, cupped their hand, lifted it to their mouths while they looked around. In other words, they were paranoid. Anybody else paranoid? Anybody else not trust the people around you? <laughs> like they hadn't even gone to war yet, but they were already concerned that someone could take them out. God said, those are the guys you want. Pick the paranoid ones. And the Bible in the New King James Version, and even in the King James Version, says 
that there is a word, and it's called circumspectly. It's a weird word, but it's an old word. It's an old English word. They probably don't even know what it means today. But what it means is that we are to look around us with caution. With caution and awareness. And the Bible says that you are to walk circumspectly. In other words, that you are to look around you and look around your surroundings in a way where you are careful of what is there. And that's what these guys did. And then he says, God does to Gideon, send everybody else home. And so everybody else goes home. Now these warriors, when they finally get to the place where they're supposed to fight, they're outnumbered. They're completely outnumbered. There is no way that 300 guys can go into battle and win. But God gives them a plan. And it's a plan for the broken. Let's take a look. In Judges chapter 7, it says this in verse 19, and it was just after midnight and after the changing of the guard when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, suddenly they blew the ram's horns and they broke their clay jars. And so what's interesting in the story is that there were 300 of them, but God says, I only want you to take 100. So this is like getting worse. Gideon's like, come on. Like, can I at least go with the 300 you've given me? And he's like, no, I want you to go only with the 100. And he says that this is the plan. You're going to stand on this hill looking down on the enemy camp, and this is what you're going to do. You're just going to blow the ram's horns, and then you're going to break your clay jars. And then the following verse tells us what happens. Then all three groups blew their horns, they broke their jars, and they held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then it continues in verse 21, and each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. And then in verse 22, and when the 300 Israelites now blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fell, fled to places as far away as Beth Shitta near Zerera and to the border of Abel Meholah near Tabith. And this passage reminds us that when God tells you to do something, it's sometimes really difficult to trust because of the brokenness that is in us. But what he does is that he shows them that brokenness can still reveal light. And that a broken jar can reflect such a powerful light that it can scare any enemy, no matter how large, no matter how numerous, no matter how powerful, no matter how great they may be. And so he puts Gideon in a position where he tells him, I want you to use the hundred 
and then to have all 300 ready. But he also tells him that I want you to blow a trumpet, and I want you to also have a light in a jar. Now, the Bible tells us that we are clay jars. We are jars of clay. And God has put his light in us. And that when we are broken, that we actually can reflect that light more than if we were whole. And it's interesting because I always pray, God, make me whole. I always ask God to heal my brokenness. I always tell God to help me to avoid brokenness, to avoid circumstances in my life which can break me. But God is saying, I want you to understand that brokenness is never going to stop you from experiencing my victory. That even when you are broken, you can also reflect light and make a sound that can repel any enemy, no matter who it is, no matter how outnumbered you may feel that you are. For the sound of praise that I have put in you and my light of glory that is in you can overtake any enemy. And in that moment, had Gideon not obeyed, had Gideon not believed, had Gideon not trusted, then the Israelites would have lost that battle. But they were able to overcome the Midianites. Now, something interesting about laws is that many times those laws are irrefutable, they're unchangeable. And one of those laws, and one that we've come to know quite well in our own lives, is called Murphy's Law. Are you guys familiar with Murphy's Law? Well, Murphy's Law is anything that can go wrong will go wrong. That's Murphy's Law. And, and we often quote that and say, well, hey, Murphy's Law. Like, if something can go wrong, you know, it's going to go wrong. But you know the Bible tells us that, that whatever a man thinks in his mind, and he dwells upon it, it will come to pass. That it is possible for us to become obsessive in our thoughts and in our beliefs that it can actually bring us to a place of victory or it can bring us to a place of defeat. We can dwell on the wrong thing to such a degree that it leaves us in our brokenness and therefore experiencing defeat instead of leading us to a place of victory in spite of our brokenness. And so think about your own thought patterns. Think about how you think about things and how you dwell on things and how they either capture you or if you are able to capture them. Are you able to be positive and to remain positive even in light of all that is negative and the circumstances that are coming against you and hurting you and assailing you and, and, and making you feel like you are somehow already defeated? There's a beautiful quote from Ernest Hemingway, and it's, it says this, that we are all broken, that's how the light gets in. 
If you think about that for a moment, you'll understand that the light only emerges when the jar is broken in the story. And it makes the enemy believe that there are far more of them than the hundred that are standing with the lights in their hands once the jar of clay was broken. And what Hemingway here is saying is that the light gets in because we're broken. How many of us have gotten closer to God in moments when we were experiencing brokenness? How many of us were reaching out to God and calling out to God because of our brokenness? In those moments, in our brokenness, did the light not get in? Did the light not come? Was Jesus not already at the door knocking, asking to come in? And in the moments of our brokenness, did Jesus not come in with his light? In the moments when we were our weakest, was Jesus not there as the light so that he could come in and shine brightly? He was. He is. And he continues to be there. There's another quote from Kettering, and it says this, that a problem that is well stated is going to be half solved. And sometimes when you talk to someone, and, and you've noticed this, when someone has come to you and they've asked you this question, what's wrong? You haven't always been able to say what it is. You just, you just can't express it. It feels wrong. Something is wrong. It's in your mind. It's in your heart. Sometimes you even state what the problem is, but it really isn't the main issue. It's, it's a subsidiary of all the issues that you have lived, but it's not the main core thing that is driving all of this angst in your life. And you have to work your way through that. And what Kittering is basically saying is that if you can finally state what the problem is, then you are already halfway there to experiencing the victory that you are looking for. And sometimes we find ourselves in, in places of obsession and addiction where things are controlling us, and we don't know why that is, but we just know that we're broken, but we don't understand what is at the core of that. Why is it that I look to this to help me? Why do I go to this to help me forget me? Why do I go to this so that I can overcome that? Why do I keep doing that? And sometimes we just need to figure that out first before we can get to a place where we can be healed. And it takes work, doesn't it? It's not an easy thing to always put our finger on. And we find that even when we're arguing and fighting in relationships, when things aren't working out between us, we think it's this. And we point out it's this, this is the problem. But we don't realize that it might be something else. But because we can't both agree on what the problem is, we can't solve it because there's no problem that can ever be solved alone. When you're in a relationship, it can only be solved when both people are working together, identifying the same problem and seeing themselves at the source of it and being able to humble themselves to each other in such a manner that they can finally experience what it looks like to be broken, but also to shout 
a song of praise and let the light that is in us finally break free so that it can overtake any darkness. Let God in this moment just come to your mind and to your heart and to your life to show you where it is that you have not been able to identify that core issue. So you know what the Holy Spirit does? It doesn't reveal all of our problems at the same time. What it does is that it reveals the most important problem in our life that needs to be dealt with first. And here's what I know, that today, as I stand before you, I am still broken, but I am still an emissary of his light. And God continues to show the things in my life that need to be made whole, but there's still brokenness in me. And I can easily revert back to my state of brokenness. And I can revert back to my state of brokenness, but here's the difference, and not show the light. Or I can be in my state of brokenness and shine the light brightly. And so my question to you is that are you just going to be broken or are you going to be broken and shine the light? Are you going to be broken or are you going to be a shout of praise that the enemy is confounded by? And the Bible tells us that in this story, the enemy turned on itself. They were so confused, they didn't know who the enemy was. And so they began to attack each other. And so the thousands whittled down to hundreds because they were taking each other out before the Israelites even had a chance to fight them. And all of a sudden, when it became the 300 having to go after the Midianites, there was hardly anyone to chase and hardly anyone to fight because they had destroyed themselves in the process. And what God is saying is that every time you think you are overtaken, overcome, overwhelmed, whenever you think you are not enough, whenever you think that you are just so broken that you cannot be used by God, know this, that God is going to shine His light brightly in you and through you to such a degree that you can and will overtake any and every enemy that is before you. Are you guys familiar with the Montreal artist that is depicted on a building on Crescent Street? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Leonard Cohen. You guys heard, heard that name before? Well, he's an artist, and there's lyrics in his song that I wanted to share with you. And in his song, it says, forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. And then he says, that's how the light gets in. Look, I, I, I am not a perfect offering to God. I, I don't bring perfect offerings to God. I can't bring perfect offerings to my wife or to my kids or even to you as a community of faith. Everything I have has a crack in it. But I also believe everything with a crack, anything that is broken can still shine God's light. And I love that this is an assembly it's a community of imperfect people. I love that we can come as we are, but leave in a manner that brings us closer to being the way that God wants us to be.
It's not an excuse. It's not a justification. It's not said so that we can just have a way of washing our hands of it or having an escape door or a side exit when we need it. When we say the words, hey, I'm cracked, I'm broken, I'm not perfect. But what we have to remember and what we have to believe, just like in this story, is that anything that is cracked and anything that is broken can still be used powerfully by God. God broke that jar of clay to reveal the light. And whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you've gone through, whatever it is that broke you at some point, whatever it is that is breaking you right now, know this, the light that is in you is going to shine even brighter. Would you believe that for yourself? The light that is in you is going to shine even brighter. It's going to defeat any and every enemy that is before you. Because that light cannot be extinguished. It is the light that is Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? You will overcome it. You will be victorious. The enemy will be confused. The enemy will turn on itself. You will win. God bless you. Thank you so much. Hey, would you just stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? I want to pray God's blessing over your life right now. I want to pray that God gives you the victory in the area of your life where you need it most. I want to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus every week that God gives me an opportunity to do so. And to go into the scriptures like we've done to tell you those stories that remind us of how great God is and how powerful we can be when we make ourselves available to him. I want you to look at your hands before we pray. And I want you to see that right now there's nothing in them. And yet there's everything that you need. And Satan uses what's in our hands against us in the same way that whatever we don't have, God can put it in our hands to make us victorious. When those guys showed up to battle, they didn't have the ram's horns and they didn't have the, car, the jars of clay and they didn't have the lamps that they had to light. But God told them what they needed in those hands to be victorious. And so here's the difference between Satan and, and God. Satan will just use what you've already got in your hands against you. But God will put whatever he needs to into your hands to defeat Satan and anyone else. And he will give you that victory. So whatever it is that you don't have in your life, I want you to know right now as you keep your hands open that God is going to give it to you. And he's going to give you the victory that you need. And if it looks as simple and as crazy as a jar of clay and a light, then it's going to be more than enough. 
It's going to be more than enough. And if he adds a, a ram's horn, don't ask questions. You can be confused, but just know you're going to need it. And you're going to go out into battle, and you're going to win. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And so, Father, we come before you with our open hands, and we say, take away what the enemy uses against us. And then we say, God, replace it with what we need to be victorious. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.